When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. We must seek the testimony under oath of January 6th central players. This is a candidate who still denies the outcome of the 2020 election. Crime is up, jobs are down, schools are worse, and the roads didn't get fixed. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. Senator Johnson had to be sat down by the FBI and warned that he may be a Russian asset. The FBI set me up with a corrupt briefing and then leaked that to smear me. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Donald Trump responds. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as the former president sends an angry letter to the January 6th committee following the vote to subpoena Trump for testimony. We're joined on this Friday edition by Trump biographer and Bloomberg Opinion senior executive editor Tim O'Brien. Later, sparks fly in debates for Wisconsin Senate. Ahead of tonight's brawl in Georgia, we'll get the score from Bloomberg National Politics reporter Ryan Teague Beckwith. And we'll talk out another wild week with our signature panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are here for the hour. We've heard from Donald Trump following yesterday's January 6th committee hearing. And we're joined today in Washington by Tim O'Brien, Bloomberg Opinion senior executive editor and author of Trump Nation, The Art of Being the Donald. Tim, welcome to Sound On. It's a pleasure to be here. I know that you were watching and writing about uh, this week's January 6th committee hearing. You were deep in this yesterday. You've got a column up on it. Donald Trump has responded with a 14-page letter, if I can call it a letter, to, to the committee chair, Benny Thompson. It's headlined in all caps, the presidential election of 2020 was rigged and stolen, exclamation point. This was after the committee, of course, went to great lengths to prove yesterday that Donald Trump knew he had lost the election long before anything happened on January 6th. Here's Congresswoman Liz Cheney. Claims that President Trump actually thought the election was stolen are not supported by fact and are not a defense. There is no defense that Donald Trump was duped or irrational. No president can defy the rule of law and act this way in a constitutional republic, period. You know him as well as any journalist. 
Has Donald Trump convinced himself that the election was stolen? No, I, I think in his heart of hearts, he absolutely doesn't believe it was stolen, but he understands the uses and abuses of perpetuating the big lie, which is, I think is one of the reasons he hangs on to it so closely. He gets enormous traction out of this in different mm -hmm. venues. It keeps him center stage. As a political figure, you know, he's a media addict. So uh, I think just remaining in the public eye is important to him. He fundraises off of his political presence. I think he learned in the White House the amount of money you could make as a, yeah. as a political figure. I don't think that was something he was completely tuned into before he got into the White House. And, and lastly, it, it leaves him as a kingmaker going into the 2024 election and into the midterms. There's a number of election deniers in the Republican Party who are running. They're, they're sort of swarming the, yeah. you know, both the state houses. Was he looking that far ahead at that period of time, though, or he was just looking for uh, self-preservation? So Jan on January 6th? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't think he was looking that far ahead. I think, I think he understood, he's always understood natively how conspiracy theories can be used to promote his own needs or his own worldview. He did that as a businessman in New York. Um, you know, famously, he got into these epic brawls with Ed Koch, then Mayor Ed Koch yeah. of New York, in which, you know, Koch was out to get him, and that's why he wasn't getting zoned. Or Atlantic City regulators hated him, and that's why his casinos were failing. And uh, the New York real estate community had it out for him, and that's why he wasn't able to build bigger projects. And, and he just brought that into his political life, and he brought that into uh, – uh, the Apprentice. Mm -hmm. there, there's not a venue he's been in where he hasn't used the idea of a conspiracy conspiracy theory to self-promote. You know, no. most of Donald Trump's actions can either be understood through two lenses, either self-aggrandizement or self-preservation. Huh. And he uses conspiracy theories when it involves both of those things, self-preservation and self-aggrandizement. I think January 6th, offered him a way to avoid saying he lost. Mm -hmm. It offered him a way to pollute people's faith in the electoral process, and it kept him on stage for longer than he otherwise would have been. He closes the letter uh, by defending the people who attacked the Capitol on the 6th, calling them great American patriots. Do you feel like this whole exercise, and I know you've been watching it very closely, all the time spent and the work done with these committee hearings, really didn't change much in American politics? I don't know that they change much in American politics. I think there's very little right now. I think both sides of the aisle are so ossified in their view of one another that I don't think you'll see any big electoral shifts from a hearing like this. But I also don't think that's the most important outcome. Mm -hmm. I think the letter that Donald Trump wrote today is yet another admission of guilt. He is repeating the lie. He's praising the insurrectionists on January 6th. He's showing no remorse. The January 6th committee has, has presented mountains of evidence, video, audio, witness testimony, witness testimony from Republicans, witness testimony from members of Trump's own White House, mm -hmm. all of which has substantiated um, uh, the fact that he uh, fomented the insurrection, he helped orchestrate some of the events around it, and he put members of Congress in danger as part of a process to corrupt an electoral process. And, and I think he needs to be held accountable for that. And, um, you know, when he's the most desperate and he's cornered, he tends to make really egregious mistakes. And this letter today is a big mistake huh. because it's an admissible piece of evidence, I think, should he be prosecuted. Speaking of uh, some of the video and, and testimony, I want to ask you about Roger Stone, who I know you know well. 
Uh, we heard from him repeatedly yesterday, in one case, spelling out the plan ahead of the election. Of course, I had to bleep all of these cuts before we did this. I suspect it'll be, I really do suspect it will still be up in the air. But when that happens, the key thing to do is to claim victory. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. No, we won. F*** you. Sorry, over. We won. Yeah. You're wrong. F*** you. ABC. I said, f- the Lord, and let's get right to the violence. That's what I'm <laughs> Since yesterday's hearing, uh, there is new video, and I'm sorry to pull you into this, uh, of a very angry Roger Stone on Joe Biden's, what was Joe Biden's inauguration day? He's in the car in Fort Lauderdale talking to someone, we don't know whom, after Donald Trump refused to give him a second pardon. The Danish filmmaker, Christopher Gulbranson, who's given a lot of uh, video to the committee, posted this from his upcoming documentary, he says it was one of the few videos the committee specifically requested but never used. I will warn everyone this is not for the faint of heart. Listen again to Roger Stone. Jared Kushner has an IQ of 70. He's coming to Miami. We will eject him from Miami very quickly. He'll be leaving very quick, very quickly, very quickly. He has 100 security guards. I'll have 5,000 security guards. You want to fight? Let's fight. F*** you. F*** you and your abortionist daughter shocking uh, statement uh, referring to Ivanka Trump there Tim is this damaging to Donald Trump or only to Roger Stone I think it's only damaging to Roger Stone and that small beer because at the end of the day Roger Stone will be a witness and a possible prosecutorial target as part of uh, of an indictment um, but I think the larger thing it reflects is how transactional I think everyone in Trump's world is it the 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 orbit of people around him are transactional because he's transactional there's not much loyalty and 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 there's generally of what have you done for me lately mentality and and if you don't do enough either by delivering money or favors um, they turn on one another and I actually think at the end of the day that could end up being a a valuable tool for prosecutors to exploit if they need to start getting testimony and witnesses from people closer and closer to the concentric circles that surround Donald Trump. Do you believe Roger Stone was the the dot connecting the White House and groups like the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers? I think he was I think he was a link for sure. I think Steve Bannon was. You know, we know that there were there were meetings in the Willard Hotel yeah. in the days prior to the insurrection. We know that there was communication between Stone and, and those militia groups, those militant groups. Um, so of course he's an important part of the fact pattern. And again, I think it, it, it it's it's about putting clothing on the larger picture of what occurred, um, which was there was a siege. The people who led the siege were armed. It wasn't accidental. They weren't tourists, mm-hmm. as some re- members of the GOP have said. They were they were deadly. I think certain about trying to achieve an outcome. And Roger Stone played a role in that. Trump Nation came out in 2005. A new edition was published in 16. When you look at him now, how does he appear different to you, his personality, his posture, his temperament? You know, I don't think he has changed a bit. Really? Uh, I think that, you know, I think he's a more dangerous person by virtue of the office he has held and the sway he holds over the electorate. Um, You know, he certainly has a consequential presidency that puts him in the history books in a way he wouldn't have been prior to his presidency. And, you know, one of his strengths as a candidate with the people who support him is is this sense that he's authentic, that he speaks um, from the heart about what he believes and he's unfiltered and he's always been the same old guy. And he's really 
been that way for a long time. You know, the old um, New York Daily News gossip columnist Liz Smith once said to me, Liz was from Texas, and she said to me, she said, you know, honey, the only thing you ever need to know about Donald Trump is that he's a seven-year-old grown old. And and basically, you know, she, she knew him well, and she watched how he rolled in New York. And and he has been the same person his whole life because he's never really had to course correct. He was protected from the consequences of his own mistakes when he was young by his family's wealth. And then as an adult by the celebrity that came along with his media exposure and then The Apprentice. And now he's got this third sort of ring of fire around him, the, the, the legal protections and, that come with, and political protections that come with the presidency. And the Donald Trump you see now is an older version. You know, he's, he's going to be a 77-year-old version of that seven-year-old boy uh, come next June. But he's pretty much the same guy. He does not have complex urges. He, you know, if you give him a sporting event, a cheeseburger, and a dirty joke, he's pretty comfortable. And everything else is ancillary. Happy to see you in Washington. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here, as always. I hope you'll talk to us again soon on Bloomberg Sound On. Thank you. Tim O'Brien, Bloomberg's senior executive producer for Bloomberg Opinion and, of course, Trump biographer. The, the book, again, Trump Nation, The Art of Being the Donald, which feels as relevant as ever in 2022. Let's assemble the panel next. They're both with us today, Rick and Jeannie. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The fastest hour in politics this day we hear from Donald Trump himself. Took less than 24 hours and a 14-page letter in which he says he's writing to, quote, express our anger, disappointment, and complaint that with all the hundreds of millions of dollars spent on what many consider to be a charade and witch hunt, we assemble the panel now, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Rick, welcome back. We obviously spent some time yesterday on the January 6th committee that concluded with this vote to subpoena Donald Trump. His response today was referred to by Tim O'Brien as a letter of admission. Do you see it the same way? Uh, yeah, could be. Uh, I think that this concept of admission of guilt, uh, when he continues to spread the big lie and double down on what he knows to be a false narrative is uh, is is an admission of guilt. Uh, I'm not sure that changes anything, but uh, I think you could have said that um, you know a year half a year and a half ago, you know, on on January seventh, and so it 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 is who Donald Trump is. I thought you know Tim O'Brien did a great job of characterizing Donald Trump as a guy who you know can't take the blame, can't apologize, can't admit defeat. I mean, it's just not in his DNA. So he is who we've always known him to be, hmm. and this is just an addition to the stack of falsehoods that he claims to be who he is. 14 pages out today, Jeannie. We also got more footage today, uh, some extended clips from what we saw yesterday in the hearing, some that we didn't see or hear at all, like that uh, piece I played from Roger Stone a bit earlier, and I can only imagine the phone calls that he's getting today. Uh, more from Nancy Pelosi, though, as you, as you likely heard uh, she was ready to punch Donald Trump and said so, as we all understand now, he was had every intention to go to the Capitol that day. I would come down and punch him out. This oh, is my no, mom. I would pay to see I've that. been waiting for this, for trespassing on the Capitol grounds. 
I'm going to punch him out and go to jail and be happy. She's seen in another clip uh, Jeannie uh, talking to Vice President Mike Pence. And they're at Fort McNair. This is where they were hiding. Her daughter's taking footage uh, of this whole conversation as they're working the phones. She's got the mask and pulls the mask down and eats a Slim Jim. She, no, really, a Slim Jim. She actually takes the wrapper off with her teeth while she's talking to Mike Pence. Listen, there's the wrapper. Okay, and then pause back. Okay, I worry about you being in that Capitol room. Uh-huh. Don't let anybody know where you are. Ready to Trump, uh, to punch Trump, Jeannie, and, and was was really looking out for Mike Pence in that moment. It, it, it's a remarkable moment in time that's captured here on video yeah how long before slim jim puts that out as a commercial that's a darn good commercial that should come out it should be you know i i was struck because you know i had to le- read this letter thoroughly so i could talk to you um the 14 pages that donald trump put out the one yeah. thing that really you know, stuck with me and struck me about it was he seemed bothered by the footage you are talking about, about Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and the, you know, this bipartisan group of of congressional leaders requesting help from law enforcement officials. Because in his letter, one of the things he claims over and over again is I did fully authorize National Guard troops. There's no record of this. This is what he says. And he says that I did take this action and Nancy Pelosi refused to allow it. So, you know, it reminded me of Ronald Reagan's saying, you know, they don't listen to what you say, but they certainly look at the pictures. And Donald Uh, Trump uh. seems stuck on this video that Alexandra Pelosi took and these other filmmakers. And the fact that it was shown and the committee has done such a good job with this footage is what really seems to have stuck in his craw, if you will. Yeah, we heard uh, from this uh, this moment yesterday as she's on the phone calling for help, calling for the police. I have something to say, Mr. Secretary. Well, I'm going to call the the mayor of Washington, D.C. right now and see what uh, other outreach she has on the phone with the secretary of defense she was on the phone with the attorney general does that blunt the republican argument that we've been we hear quite often uh rick from the leadership that that nancy pelosi uh did not fulfill her duty to call for help yeah i think this sort of lays to rest the uh the other big lie which is somehow you know nancy pelosi was complicit in letting you know these uh uh marauders into the capitol and and not willing to uh to fortify it so uh, again, I mean, we're just we're just picking around the edges. Um, you know, there's there's seditious conspiracy trials already happening. I think the blooms off the rose as to what actually occurred that day, and who was uh, trying to uh, return the capital to a, a stable place, and who was actually trying to disrupt the election count. So, um, you know, I think I think the committee did a really good job of keeping all our interests all the way to the last. Uh, a minute and uh, frankly uh, I think that the report will be consequential and whether they refer it to the Justice Department for prosecution is going to be I think the last remaining question uh, left on the uh, on the committee but the reality is they've done a great job of laying down what the facts are of what occurred on January 6th the lead up to it and and a little bit about you know what's been the impact since then Rick, you have unique history with uh, Roger Stone. You've worked around him uh, and with him in another life. He has uh, he's certainly taken on a new persona at this point of his career. Uh, you heard that clip of him today, the anger uh, that you heard on the phone. Uh, what happens to Roger Stone, and, and what does Donald Trump think of this? First, I would have to say that's the Roger Stone I met when he became the head of the Young Republicans in the 1970s, right? So. Huh. 
Actually, Roger Stone hasn't changed a bit. This is <laughs> this is exactly the mo. Uh, you know, he gets the temper rolling. He talks himself into a tirade. You know, he uses enormous amounts of profanity and and sort of this machine gun style of screaming. And uh, and so I, it it just actually was a little bit convulsive to me that you know I've been in a room when I've seen that and it's not pretty. Wow. Uh, so so this is who he is. And 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 frankly, you know, the American public has already made the judgment about him. Trump's not going to testify, is he, Jeannie? No, he's not. And let's not forget Roger Stone's big Nixon tattoo on his back. The smiling Nixon is <laughs> well, there. That, that's that's right. And the, the, the big pot leaf as well. Uh, we need to hear a lot more from Jeannie and Rick, and we will. They're here all hour, our signature panel. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061 to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960 to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. They say the Herschel Walker Raphael Warnock debate tonight could set a ratings record. It's one to pop the corn for. It's amazing what a scandal can do for a political program. And this follows two chippy debates last night in which denying of the election and activities on January 6th were looming large. We'll talk about that Wisconsin Senate debate and the Michigan gubernatorial debate coming up with Ryan Teague Beckwith. First, you couldn't escape last night the references to Trump, to January 6th, to election denying. In Wisconsin, it was the second round for Ron Johnson, Mandela Barnes, the Senate debate. And January 6th was at hand. You'll hear Johnson followed by Barnes here. I immediately and forcefully and repeatedly condemned the violence on January 6th. Unlike my opponent, it, it has to be said that he called those folks patriots. He called them tourists. The people who were beating up police officers in the United States Capitol, the people that were there to protect him. And it wasn't just in that debate. It was top of mind in a gubernatorial debate. But that's where we are with Trump picked candidates out there. Look no further than Tudor Dixon, who was, of course, debating last night with Governor Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan. I think it's really ironic when Mrs. Dixon stands here and says that she will accept the vote, the will of the people. This is a candidate who still denies the outcome of the 2020 election. This is a candidate who will not pledge to accept the outcome of the November 8th election. <laughs> Never mind 2024 and what might follow. Ryan Teak Beckwith is Bloomberg's national politics reporter, and he's done a great job covering the sort of election denier aspect to this midterm race. In fact, he's been following them very closely. And I know you wrote a recent one, uh, 14 Republican candidates actively fought to overturn the 20 election. Ryan, welcome. Uh, Ron Johnson was not one of those 14. Uh, but if you watched that debate last night, you, you might have wondered, how important has this election-denying uh, uh, storyline been when we see some candidates run away from it and others embrace it? Johnson's in a weird position because he was a senator who said ahead of January 6th that he would object to certification. Yeah. After the violence broke out, he actually reversed course and, and voted to certify. And so it, where he's getting hit here is some of his remarks where he's, you know, not totally condemned it and is a little loose. 
But we actually didn't include him on our list because at the end of the day, he did certify yeah. the election. Understood. Uh, Tudor Dixon is, is a different uh, type of candidate and one that much more fits the, the MAGA mold. She's embraced that, right? Yeah, as she is a uh, during the election, like right after the election, she was on social media tweeting heavily about how this was a uh, fraud and whatnot. Um, in the primary, she was embracing that when it looked like she was going to win the primary shortly before the primary was over. She came out and tried to start backpedaling it before she'd actually got the nomination. She took a, a hit from the right on that. Yeah. Um, but uh, she's also been in kind of an awkward position there not fully able to walk away from it because it's a really hard thing to walk away from. Um, and so, so Whitmer is, is, uh, you know, using that as a cudgel against her. That said, it's not a huge issue in, in these two races as much as it is in some other races. Well, that's uh, fair enough. We haven't talked about the, the Doug Mastrianos of the world uh, in this conversation, but you've been looking down ballot as well. And I, I don't know if that's what you're, you're leading us to Ryan, but it's pretty important when you consider the Secretary of State races uh, that we're going to watch unfold in a couple of weeks here where, where we could have MAGA and election denying that goes way beyond a guy named Donald Trump, where we could have actual officials running the electoral system inside states who believe that the 20 election was stolen. Right. And then that will be the those are the ones that I'm the most closely watching the governor's race in Wisconsin and the Secretary of State races in Nevada and Arizona and uh, in uh, Minnesota. And then um, the, uh, the governor of Pennsylvania obviously appoints the Secretary of State there. Yeah. But Mastriano appears to be losing. So uh, he, he's not one of the ones that I'm watching super closely at the moment. Pretty incredible. What do you expect tonight in Georgia? Is it possible to predict uh, what's uh, going to happen on that stage, Herschel Walker this? and the Reverend? This is as close to like when Trump was on the debate stage and yeah. you really just didn't know. This is not a professional politician, uh, as he reminds us on a near daily basis. Uh, and so uh, really anything could happen. He is it, it is it is definitely going to be a contrast debate because, uh, I mean, literally a rev. <laughs> oh, boy, somebody got in the way of what Ryan was saying. Come on back, Ryan. I wanted to hear you finish that. Because I'm pretty sure I know where you're going there. Although, if you have been listening to this program recently, Republican leadership, uh, by way of Senator Rick Scott, uh, has been ready to roll with the oppo on uh, Reverend Warnock. They say that he abused his wife, and they, there's been a lot of stuff out there. Uh, whether Herschel Walker goes there is another question, and whether Raphael Warnock goes on the offense is another one as well. Uh, did we lose Ryan? I guess we're not getting him back. Rick and Jeannie are with us, our signature panel, and I was looking forward to talking about this with them. Yeah, bring Ryan back if we can, because we've got the debate here. We'll be we'll be dis, uh, dissecting the Herschel Walker uh, Raphael Warnock debate on Monday, and uh, you know we're all going to pop the corn, like I said later, and watch it. Uh, Rick, what do you think of this race in Wisconsin? I, I don't know if you had a chance to see Ron Johnson and Mandela Barnes go at it. Um, Ron Johnson was being laughed at uh, from time to time. Listen to him talk about the FBI setup, as he said, and listen to the crowd. In response to the wild charge of uh, uh, Lieutenant Governor Barnes, the FBI set me up with a corrupt, with a corrupt briefing, and then leaked that to smear me. I am 
No, I mean, let's, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, I, right. He is referring to corruption with the FBI, which I've been trying to uncover and expose. All right. So do we have time for, please, audience, please. This is after Mandela Barnes accused him of, uh, of essentially being a Russian agent. He was... Uh, the FBI sat down with him to talk about peddling misinformation from Russia. Did Ron Johnson do himself any favors last night, Rick? Uh, no. <laughs> In fact, I think the crowd reaction is exactly what you wanted to play there. Because, first of all, this was a crazy wild crowd at the debate. Yeah. If, if there is a argument for studio debates with no audience, this was That it. was it. <laughs> Uh, it was really out of control. But uh, the fact that you know, he would try to make a serious point about this and defend himself and people laughed out loud. I think it was amazing. Uh, talk about self-correcting. Yeah, boy, it was really something. It was like there was a laugh track. It was like watching the Honeymooners, but it was a political debate. Uh, we're going to keep with the panel and I'll let you know what he was reacting to when he said that to Mandela Barnes last night. Also, Senator Mike Lee sends out a cry for help. And his name is Mitt Romney. We'll have more on it next on The Fastest Hour in Politics. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So yeah, when you're having a primetime U.S. Senate debate and it sounds like there's a sitcom laugh track in the room, something isn't going the way you planned it. Welcome to the Fastest Hour in Politics. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, our signature panel here on a Friday. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Awfully glad you came along. As we wait for the next round of debates tonight, we're spending some time in Wisconsin, where Mandela Barnes, the Democratic nominee, lieutenant governor, went after Senator Ron Johnson on what he saw as spreading disinformation about Russia and, in fact, cozying up to Vladimir Putin. Here's how it started. We have someone, Senator Johnson, who once praised Putin as a smart guy. Now, if Putin is successful in Ukraine, he's going to encroach on more territory. It'd also be a green light to other autocratic leaders. There was also an instance where Senator Johnson had to be sat down by the FBI and warned that he may be a Russian asset. We can't trust, we cannot trust Senator Johnson to protect democracy abroad because we can't even trust Senator Johnson to protect democracy here at home. Well, Senator Johnson wasn't having any of it, as you hear. In response to the wild charge of uh, uh, Lieutenant Governor Barnes, the FBI set me up with a corrupt, with a corrupt briefing and then leaked that to smear me. I am... No, I mean, right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. About, I, I mean, right, he is crowd. referring to corruption with the FBI, which I've been trying to uncover and expose. All right. So do we have time for please, oh, audience, please, please, audience, please. I mean, you could say you could say anything with a laugh track like that and it'll sound funny. You know, I think I'm having a heart attack. <laughs> Let's reassemble the panel. Rick and Jeannie are with us here. Uh, Rick, to your point. <laughs> This thing got a bit out of control. Jeannie, was it a win uh, for uh, Mandela Barnes? I think the point was scored there. I would like a laugh track, by the way, Joe Matthew. Please I send can one do, over. Anytime you want. <laughs> 
Thank you. Sure no, thing. you know, I, I think in that particular instance, you know, Barnes obviously got the upper hand. I think all in all for the debate, um, I, I think it was an even split. I, I don't think, uh, you know, either one of them changed the trajectory of the race. And, and, you know, it's a race that's very, very tight. It should not be, but it is. And no. we should, you know, be clear. This is not the first time Ron Johnson has made slips, whether this was a slip or not. I mean, this is a guy who last month on Fox said he condoned white supremacy and then quickly said, I meant condemned. So, you know, he has done this over and over and over again, and he did it in the debate last night. So it's not a surprise. Uh, Rick, you've been through enough debates. You know, you get to the end and they want you to say something nice, right? We did that last night. Say something nice about each other, something you appreciate about one another. Listen to how this unfolded. And I'm going to ask you next, Rick, if likability really is a quality in a race like this. Mr. Barnes, you go first. What do you find admirable about your opponent? Well, no, no, seriously. I, I do think, you know, the senator has proven to be a family man. And I think that's, that's admirable. Um, you know, that's absolutely to be respected. He, he speaks about his family. He's uh, done a lot to provide for them. I when in doubt, go to the that. family. That's... Mr. Johnson. I mean, likewise, I appreciate the fact that uh, okay. Lieutenant Governor Barnes had loving parents, a school teacher, yeah. father worked third shift, so he had a you know, good upbringing. I guess what puzzles me about that is with that upbringing, why is he turned against America? I mean, why, why, why does he find the right. founding of America awful? Right. It's it's crowd again. We, it puzzles we me. Did not, I said, please, we said something admirable. <laughs> it wasn't just laughing, Rick. It was booing last night. Yeah, they call that a contrast ad. I mean, like, you can't say something nice about someone and then close with the smack in the face. I mean, I actually credit to the moderator. You know, you don't see that asked very often. I I think it was a wonderful question. And and, and yet they couldn't hold it together, right? They couldn't actually say nice things about one another. I mean, Barnes got away with it and did a good job. But, like, Mm -hmm. Johnson could not force himself to close (laughs) positive. And, uh, and, And, look, I think those are the kinds things that you saw the reaction to the audience you want to come out of a debate where people say you know what he's he's kind of like me he's got my values he's he's got yeah. my interests in mind he's he's not like this strange dude in washington or lieutenant governor who you know doesn't share my values and so i do think that johnson had a problem connecting with that audience which means he probably had a problem connecting with the audience on television mm-hmm. and on radio and 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 that is a problem for him because you know when you're an incumbent and you're only leading by you know margin of error and you're nowhere near 50 percent you have a problem going into election day yeah well the poll of polls at real clear has johnson up uh, by almost three points, that's the spread here. Uh, does does he keep the seat, Rick? Look, I think it's really problematic because yeah. in addition to being up by three, he's nowhere near 50%, right? And okay, so when you yeah. look at an incumbent, he should be at 50% or 51% or 52% going into this stage of the election if he's up. That means there's a pretty healthy number of people, if he's only in the mid-40s, who can vote on election day and say, you're out of here. Yeah. Uh, Jeannie, can Democrats flip this? 
they can. You know, I think if I had advised, um, you know, Johnson, I would have told him to t- focus a lot more on the issue of crime. He did mm. some of that, but a lot more on the issue of crime and inflation um, than he seemed to be able to do, because I think that's where Mandela Barnes has become vulnerable. And we have seen Johnson tick up, but to Rick's point, he's in within the margin of error. Barnes has a very good shot. And Barnes is the lieutenant governor. He's been elected statewide. He's somebody they know. And so that has played to his advantage, although, again, he's still a little bit behind at this point. I want to ask you both about the Utah Senate race, which hasn't really gotten a lot of coverage, nothing like Georgia, Pennsylvania, Ohio. Uh, Senator Mike Lee is, uh, you know, he's getting worried. This is a pretty close race, and there isn't a heck of a lot of polling around it. Maybe uh, we'll get into that in a second here. But, you know, he's he's concerned about Evan McMullen, the independent, and he's looking for help from the other senator, this guy named Mitt Romney, who's decided to stay neutral in this race because he says he's friends with both of them. Well, Mike Lee went on Fox News to tell Tucker Carlson that he needed help. He put the cry out on national television. Mitt, if you'd like to protect the Republican majority, give us any chance of seizing the Republican majority once again, getting it away from the Democrats who were facilitating this massive spending spree and a massive inflationary binge. Please get on board. Help me win re-election. Help us do that. You can get your entire family to donate to me. (laughs) Uh, Rick, is that a strategy? That is not a strategy. That is a tactic. I think the strategy would have been to coalesce the Republican Party around him a long time ago. Now it's a, you know, throw me a uh, throw me a throw me a ring of safety. But, um, you know, look, I mean, he's in trouble. I mean, Trump won the state by 21 points. And the most I've seen is he's at 42 percent, 42 percent for an incumbent in a state where Trump won by a margin of 21 points is like a really troubling thing 30 days out yeah so uh look i think there's zero chance that mitt romney helps the guy they've been uh not very close uh uh colleagues uh in in utah in the senate and uh evan mcmullen is a friend of mitt's and uh i think that's the kind of thing that's going to be troubling for mike lee down the stretch yeah so i'm could he also hurt himself by by making himself look desperate here, Jeannie, or, or, or is he going to get a lot of $5 donations from late night Fox viewers? I don't know that desperation is a great campaigning. It's tactic. not. <laughs> you know, and that's exactly what that sounds like. You know, please, Mitch, please help me. Yeah. Um, or Mitt. Um, you know, and, and I think the problem here with his argument is that he's not running against a Democrat. He's running against an independent in McMullen. And so, you know, while he wants to talk about Democratic spending and he's got a point there, the reality is this is an independent versus a Republican. And that makes this call and this plea that much harder. Mm-hmm. And his also does his closeness to Donald Trump, which is not something that Mitt Romney has been responsive to. How do you read into this uh, Republican versus independent? I know Utah is it's Utah uh, here, Rick, but this is not a a Republican versus Democratic race. How does that complicate the strategy for a Republican who's seeking independent votes? Uh, I think it's a little complicated because Mike Lee has been a pretty good defender lately, Uh, not so much early in the Trump administration, but certainly lately he's been a big defender of Donald Trump. And and, and I think that has divorced him from some of these independent voters. It's the reason why Mike uh, uh, Evan McMullen has been able to 
pile them on and be as competitive as he is. Uh, that being said, uh, he's got another problem is he actually voted for uh, Mike Lee voted for Evan McMullen for president in his home state against Donald Trump in 16. <laughs> right. I mean, there's a lot of splaining to do with this guy. Yeah. I mean, to say he's a little inconsistent is probably the understatement of the decade. So uh, his messaging has been all over the map. Uh, Mike Lee, he should he hasn't focused on the primary issues that you should in a state like that, which is, you know, right now, the economy, the economy, the economy. And uh, and so unless he has a very strong finish, this thing is not about money. Money is not going to huh. determine the outcome of this race. Uh, yeah. Mike Lee has to find a coalition that's willing to get him closer to 50 percent. All right. 7 p.m. Eastern time, Friday night fight in Savannah. In our remaining minute here, predictions for the fight, Jeannie Shanzano. Oh, it's going to be a throwdown. This has got to be the most consequential debate we've seen this cycle, if not in several years. I am so excited. I'm going to make my popcorn right when this is over. And I think it is all about Walker in this case. You know, yeah. can he prove people wrong that he does have the chops to pull it off? And let's not forget, it's his first time debating. He's had some preparation, wow. but it's his first time. That's a tough yeah. task. Predictions for the fight, Rick Davis. I'm not staying up late. There's a better <laughs> baseball game on on the West Coast. <laughs> all right. Well, to quote Mr. T., I'll say pain. Great panel and great to have Rick and Jeannie back together as always. That's why you're here, right? Have a great weekend. Enjoy the debate. We'll do this again on Monday on the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.